Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 97 of the Speaking Club podcast. Now, they say that when you're faced with fear, you have two options. Forget everything and run. This is called avoidance. Face everything and rise. This is called exposure. But I think there's another option. Fart, empty and relax. This is called my pre-show routine. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. I am chuffed to bits to have my first returning guest. Shelley O'Donovan is CEO of the Authentic Influence Group. She's also a communication lecturer at Wharton Business School, a speaker and an expert in body language. Now, Shelley's first show was one of the most popular so far, and I knew that when I recorded it, I had lots more to ask on the subject of body language and non-verbals, which I find fascinating. And uh, I love that show, Lie to Me. I don't know if you've seen it. It's very good. So I brought her back. And this time we're going even deeper into the secret language that can sabotage our success without us even knowing. But before I head over to the interview, I want to thank you for choosing the Speaking Club podcast. Wherever you're listening, in your car, on your bike, at the gym, cooking dinner or walking the dog. I really hope the show is helping you on your speaking and storytelling journey. Now, if also I want to say thank you, because if you've left a rating or review on iTunes, I'm extra grateful because it's really cool to get feedback and it also helps other people find it too. So if you haven't done that yet and you do like the show, I'd be so grateful wherever you are in the world, if you could just take a few minutes to rate or review the Speaking Club podcast and that would be balls. Coolio! Right, let's head over to my chat with Shelley. So, Shelley O'Donovan, welcome back to the Speaking Club. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. Me too. I've got lots of unfinished business here that I want to uh, get the lowdown on. So, that's really cool. So, for everyone, and maybe if, if people are new to the show, you were on in episode 37, and I'm going to link back to that in the show notes. But for those that, if you haven't listened to that already, then you're fine. You can listen to these two episodes on their own. Um, but do go back and listen to that one if you haven't already, because it's a, it's a doozy. For those that haven't listened to that show, can you give a quick overview of what you do today and what got you started? Absolutely. So I help people to get what they want at work through influence. And it's usually by improving their communication skills. And a large part of my practice is doing body language. So teaching people how to use their um, nonverbal, nonverbals, so their gestures, their voice tone, um, their facial expressions to really help them to round out 
what they're doing at work and to get what they want. And so I often find executives, um, as they're making a shift from one level to the next, this is often the missing piece that they don't quite have. Um, and so if I can bring that consciously to them so they have some conscious awareness of it, they're usually able to make that next leap. Brilliant. Because I think that it really can sabotage you, can't it? If that alignment uh, isn't there. Absolutely. It can absolutely sabotage you. So there's nothing worse than walking into an event or meeting and, and hearing someone say that they're excited to be there and the voice tone is just dragging. And so, you know, if we can work on how to make that voice tone better, to make those gestures all come in alignment so that you do look like you're excited, um, then that makes you that much more effective. And do you find people, I mean, I guess some people, and we talked about this a little bit on the last episode in terms of, you know, that charisma piece, but do you find that there are distinct camps of people, those that intuitively get it and those that just haven't got a clue? And, and is there any, is, you know, what, have they got any sort of similarities in those two groups? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So the research shows that it's a learned, it, there's learned behavior there that's genetically wired as well. Oh. And there's also um, behavior that you can learn. So it's kind of in both camps. So we have a certain ability to read body language. You see it with babies right away, right? You know, within a few weeks of them coming into the world, they're learning things through body language, through, you know, they point for things and they use their body because they can't talk yet. Um, but we also find that when we teach people these skills, when we look at, when we look at the research and what the research says um, in terms of how to approach a situation or how to communicate when you're using that body language, you become that much more effective. And after a lot of practice and work with people, we can kind of internalize it to the point where you don't have to be consciously thinking about it anymore. So it's almost relearning of these um, body language traits. Because it is instinctive, isn't it, in some senses? Because you've got, you may be saying something. I don't know if this is right. I guess I'll ask. You may be saying something, but you might be thinking something different. And what you're thinking, and then the emotions will have an impact on, on what we're saying. And that's where the breakdown is, absolutely. is it? Yes, absolutely. So I always give the example of if you and I were out at a coffee shop and we were talking about something, and out of the corner of my eye, I see my ex-boyfriend walk in the door, right? And... And I might give some kind of like angry micro expression, which is just a quick, quick flash of anger. And if you can read that, you might pick up on that and think that it's something to do with you because I'm not communicating to you that he just walked in the door, but it actually has to do with the fact that there's this other person that's come into the room, or I may catch something else out of the corner of my eye that kind of annoys me. You know, maybe it's the guy who's always, you know, taking too much time in front of me in the coffee line that walks in or whatever it is. But so we often read those signals and some of those signals are from what's going on inside someone's head. And some of them though are directly related to the conversation that you and I might be having. So that's where the trick really comes in to read people appropriately. So well, what was in that particular situation then, let's say that happened and I see right. that. Well, right. I mean, how, how should we handle that situation from, from the person that had sort of does that expression and to the person that's receiving it? So it depends a little bit on the relationship. So um, if we know each other well, you might say, is everything okay? You just, for a minute there, I thought I said something that might have um, struck a chord with you. 
if it's not someone that you know well, so maybe we're just like a business contact and you wouldn't want to say that, then, you know, you make the decision in the moment to just maybe let that go. But in your head, you might say, okay, we were talking about um, this project that we're working on. And the minute I mentioned the budget, she made that angry micro expression. Then maybe that means that that price is too high. Yeah. So, so that's where we talk a lot about coming back and kind of asking and finding out what's really going on because you never really know a hundred percent what someone else is thinking, but you can certainly ask more questions and try to build a rapport with that person to get to the heart of, is is there something there with me or was it just something in the environment that day? Or the fact that person was just not in a great mood when we connected. Because that's the other thing we do as human beings, isn't it? Is we make things mean something about ourselves. So if I saw that and I was like, oh my God, she doesn't like me, then my behavior could change to like to, to, and then sabotage. So it's not just what we do sort of instinctively, unintentionally ourselves, but how we respond to what people do that can really mess things up. Absolutely. And I even tell people when networking, everyone gets so caught up in networking, like at a cocktail reception or something, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I tell them, don't worry so much about what you're going to say. Just listen to the other person because so many people are not listening to the other side, but they're thinking about what they're going to say next. And so they're not even worried about you. They're worried about themselves. Like, what am I going to say? Like, they're thinking the same thing. So just focus on the other person and and that makes it a whole lot easier. So that's where, because you, when you were on the show last time, um, that the company name was Illuminate the Message, which I think yes. is still part of what you do. But now yes. it's about authentic influence, um, the authentic influence group, which is a great name. And so is that really encapsulating this thing about you know, being present, being, you know, mindful of what people are telling you through the nonverbals and then how to respond that captures that piece. It does. Absolutely. And I do a lot of work with executives on those signals that happen in the workplace. So sometimes those signals are nonverbal, but other times those signals are different things. Like they've been put into a project that's you know, one of the top money makers for the company. Like that's a great signal when that happens for you. Or you've been kind of shelved into a project that's not so great. And so capturing those signals and then being able to navigate on the flip side of it so that you can really bring your authentic self into that. I don't want anyone to come out of um, training with me or coaching with me and feel like I've got to completely change who I am because that's not that's not going to work for you, right? You have to kind of bring your best version of you. And so that's what we do. Try to really help um, uncover that best version for someone so that they can be really effective at work. And I I just, it just popped in my head. So I thought I'll ask. So when you're doing this coaching, let's say one-to-one coaching, can you do it over, like we're talking today over Zoom or do you actually physically need to be in the space with the people to do it? So Zoom, it works. Um, I do have clients where I physically go and meet them because they're local to me and it's easy to do that. Um, But I have clients as well that I work with over Zoom. It's really important to get that video component though, because to get a feel for, you know, who you are and what kind of body language you use normally. And so that, that visual is important, but we can get that in other ways in this day and age. 
And so is like a coaching session with you. If I was having a coaching session with you, would you be like poking me to try and get me to do things? Would you be like trying to provoke me? Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, sometimes, and it, you know, it depends. So we walk through, it's a little different than kind of executive coaching would be typically because we're really focused on the body language and how to influence at work. And so we talk about, you know, what the research says in terms of body language and how to tweak that. And if you're getting feedback, so I worked with a client who was going into a VP role. So she had been in the VP role just a couple months and she was getting this feedback that she just wasn't commanding the room enough. And so we worked about like where she sat when she walked in the room. She was a particularly short person. So we said, you know, what can we do in terms of the chair? So the chair is there for you to make you look a little bit bigger in your body. And so we worked on all of those particular things and they're all usually very particular to the person as well. Different people have different, um, different issues. So I've worked with others who are, you know, too told they're too assertive or too aggressive. And so we tone that down for them. Cool. So having said all that, have you got any sort of top three tips for making sure our nonverbals match our message? The sort of the big traps that people fall into. Yeah. So the the first thing I would say is just get ready for whatever it is that you're going to take on. So if you know that you need to be confident in the moment, then maybe on the drive to the meeting or to the speaking engagement, Mm. you're bopping in your car and you're kind of amping up your energy so that the confidence starts to build. You put on like your favorite song. And then, so that's tip number one, just getting yourself kind of set up in the mind frame for it. The second thing I would say is to be open with your body language. So one of the things that people tend to do when they don't like an idea or Um, when they're just feeling insecure is that they block. So they pull their arms in and they block their body. You can also block with objects like pulling a laptop up across your chest. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of a protective mechanism that's wired in us, but just be careful about that. You want to remain open because then people will feel more engaged with you. And then the final thing I would say is to just watch any of the nonverbals that, um, are a little bit soothing. So, you know, rubbing your arms, men tend to adjust their ties. If you watch all the hearings out of Washington, when the <laughs> questions get tough, the men start to like adjust their tie or woman will adjust her necklace or her neckline. And that's really getting at this piece, um, which is kind of right under your Adam's apple. It's called the super sternal notch. And it gives us a little hit of oxytocin, which is this connection cuddle hormone. And so it likens back to when we were, you know, with our moms and she'd rub our back or rub us as a baby, it calmed us down. And so we still sometimes do that to calm ourselves down and don't necessarily realize it. And the way that we do it is through those things like adjusting around that neckline somewhere. Um, And so be careful about those types of things because they tend to make us look not confident in the moment. Cool. You did mention it. So I'm going to ask. Uh, Last time we talked a bit about President Clinton, but is there anything that um, President Trump does to show that he's uncomfortable that you've noticed? That he's uncomfortable. That's interesting. So he he's really interesting study in body language because he is someone who has an incredibly strong body language brand. And so it's the way he 
walks. It's the way he stands. It's the way he takes on everything. I think if someone um, called him aggressive or assertive, he would say thank you because that is part of his brand. I think that is very much his brand and he knows what his brand is and he stays within it. So, um, so I've definitely seen, seen those things as well from him. And then in terms of just, um, yeah, in terms of kind of when he gets upset with someone or angry, I mean, I think there are some ticks that you certainly see, um, but it's, you know, it's really, he's got this really aggressive um, behavior, which is really that, that non-personal brand or personal brand. And we're going to talk about talk about that as well. So, and that that generally permeates through everything, through his tweets on Twitter. Yeah. It comes. It's like it, it's it's it is like you say. It's sort of ingrained in everything that he does. So does. Yes. interesting. And do you think that that is learned behavior from him? From like that's what's got him results in the past, or do you think it's just part of his personality? That's a really good question, and I. I can't really speculate too much on that because I don't know him. Um, But I would say that he, I I would imagine that that's been cultivated over a long, long career. You know, maybe there's some of that that's genetically wired, um, Mm. but that that's also been cultivated over a long time. So he's just, that it worked a couple of times and he's just kept doing it since, whether it's appropriate or not. (laughs) Right, absolutely. Okay, cool. Right, something else that I'm really interested in. Um, you talk about decoding the face, and we've mentioned a little bit about micro expressions and becoming more intuitive. Can you give some more tips on that? So let's, I mean, you mentioned about that twitch about the price, but let's say I'm making a pitch to someone. What right. micro expressions should I be looking out for and why? So I would say during a pitch, so first of all, before we even got to the microexpressions, I would make sure the person across from you has open body language. So if, if they're closed off, it could be that it's cold in the room, but it also could be that they're kind of closed to thinking mm-hmm. about this as an opportunity. So if you're in front of them, that's a great time to offer them something to kind of open them up like a drink oh. or something they have to take. And that'll open their mind a little bit. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get the, you know, get the clients, but it'll open their mind. And then from a micro expression perspective, I would definitely look for anger. So anger is, you know, these two lines come up between our eyes um, and, you know, it's kind of, you can catch it quickly. If that comes and there's something you've said, that's kind of set them off. So it could be related to, you know, something crazy that's unrelated but it could also be something very specific that you said and so you can kind of go back around and say it again in a different way and see if you get that again so maybe there's a piece of your proposal or your project that that they don't want Um, and so you may want to just ask questions to kind of unpack that the other micro expression that I think is really important for people to know about is contempt and so that is like this that we often think that when someone kind of half smiles, that it means that they're kind of half okay with it, but it does not. So that is why it's one of the most dangerous micro expressions because we often misinterpret it. So it actually means that they hate that. So there's some kind of disgust there. So if you launched, you know, the perfect time is if you launch a price. So I was working with a company who had sales 
sales um, people that went into the home and kind of sold these big installations in these houses. And they were finding that that's when that micro expression would come up. It would come up right when they were mentioning the price because the homeowners didn't realize that the price tag was going to be so big. So then when they launched that, yeah, that contempt came forward and they weren't catching it at first. They thought, oh, well, they kind of seemed okay with the price. And they were like, why can't we make the sale? But it was because they were stuck on the price and because that contempt um, micro-expression came through then. So, so is it like a, I mean, people can only hear us, but is it like a smirk? How would you, how would you it describe is, it? It is like a smirk. So if you smile and it's kind of like, right, like it comes up, um, there's a, and I cannot think of her name. I want to say it's Car- Maroney or something who was an Olympic Olympian and she would do that a lot. Um, and I don't, some people do have it kind of in their baseline, which means that they just do it because it's part of how they communicate normally. But for most people, that is a sign of, you know, disgust or not, not liking the thing and really hating it. So it could be they hate the person that they're talking to, but it also could be, you know, I hate that price piece or I hate that project or I hate talking about this, but there's something there that you need to uncover and kind of build a rapport and come back to again. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm just thinking back to, I think it'd be, this is brilliant for actors. I mean, this, this is for us for speakers and, and business people, but for actors as well, knowing Absolutely. this sort of stuff. So if I was, yeah. if I was playing contempt, that's a great Absolutely. expression. But also actually, we, you know, when I do talk to clients and obviously on the show as well about, you know, it is a performance when we speak. And if we are, telling a story on stage then you know and taking on board some of these sort of body language things to illustrate mm-hmm. the characters in the story or what can be quite powerful I'd imagine absolutely and I even when I so I teach at Wharton um, as well and I teach business communications but I I tell them they need to be somewhat expressive because we do go through a week where we work with a teleprompter and we are just on camera with that teleprompter. And that's the point in which you really need your face to do the work because you're not using your hands as much in the shot. And so making those expressions, you know, when you are telling that story about how you might have been upset about something like looking like that on your face, like trying to bring that in, because it can just be really effective and help your audience to connect with you. Thank you for that. That's brilliant. Okay. Right. One of the things that particularly caught my attention uh, on, on the website was about how uh, to sell anything to anyone. And is, can you give me the science behind it? And it may be some of the stuff that we've already talked about, um, yeah. but what can we do with our face ourselves and our body to make us more successful in a selling situation? Sure. So there's two pieces to that. So there's certainly the, the side of what you do. And so most of that I've kind of communicated already some of that um, in terms of being open and making yeah. sure you're catching things, but it's also really important to read the customer. So, and that becomes difficult. I know a lot of sales people that are picking up the phone and making kind of phone phone calls, and then they can't really effectively read that person because they can't see them. Mm. So to the extent that you can either get a face-to-face or a video conference, that's really important because then you can catch those cues. You, then you know if they're listening to you. Mm. Then you, you can see if 
the price is a is sore point or if there's no sore point. Um, one cue that we sometimes see when someone's going to buy something. So it's either a product or an idea um, or that they're just really interested is that they lick their lips. So they've kind of made their decision and they lick their lips. And so that's sometimes a sign that, okay, I've got them. Like I'm probably going to get this sale. It's not always a hundred percent a sign, but it is typically a sign that they're willing to buy. Wow. That's really cool. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and I guess um, something that just popped into my mind again as well was when you talked about price and the, the person we're selling to their facial and body language responses to the price. But I think also I've noticed, and you know, I've done it myself in the past, you know, when sometimes we've got imposter syndrome about our own products and services or, you know, and it does come to us telling people the price, how we communicate that and must, I could undermine what we're, you know, what we're selling presumably. Yeah, absolutely. And so one place where that tends to happen is if, if I say my price is, I don't know, $10,000 and I waffle on the end of that sentence with my tone, it sounds like a question to you. Yeah. And so you're immediately going to say to me, it's like an invitation to the other person to say, well, can we do better on that price? Yeah. Whereas if you're confident at the end and your tone either goes um, deeper or stays consistent, it's a very firm way to say it. And people think, okay, that is the price. Like whether or not I can afford it is another thing, but that is the price that she's putting our services forward. So to be careful, and even as speakers, we might do that during a talk when we're talking about a story or a statistic or something. And we have to be careful about that voice tone um, going into what they call question inflection. So it's kind of going up at the end. So, you know, if I came in and said, my name is Shelly O'Donovan, you would kind of be like, is, is she confident? Are you know that's her name? Like, right? <laughs> that's what it sounds like. And and it's kind of caught in um, pop culture. So we find that it used to be kind of starting in the younger generations, but now it's all over the place. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or what your age is. We hear that question inflection from time to time, but it really it really undermines your credibility. Cool. And is there anything, so one of the things that I've noticed is uh, I've wor- been working on my attachment to um, the sale. And, and what I found is the less attached that I am to an outcome, the less needy I am the less I try and convince people and the more confident I seem. And actually it becomes almost more attractive to the other right. person. If I, if I communicate that, I, you know, whether you take it or not, it's going to, you know, not that it's not going to make any difference, but you know, you, right. you're, that you're lucky to be doing business with me in terms of our body language. I can see around the voice, but is there anything that we can do to communicate the fact that we are uh, almost, you, you know, not that you can take it or leave it, but that we're not, you know, we're not desperate, we're not needy or on the reverse. Is there anything that we do that communicates that we are desperate or needy that would put. Yeah. So it, it comes back to kind of that open, having that open and confident body language. So having the posture confident, having 
when you're talking about the whatever that package is or whatever you're trying to sell, making sure that you're kind of relaxed about it. Um, I think you're right on the mark there with not being needy about it. Um, even to the extent that you can say something like, um, I want to, you know, I want to talk to you to see if we're a good fit rather than I want to talk to you to see if you want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, this two way street trying to make it sound like a two way street, which is really important. And then just having that confident body language, if you're meeting with them in person, then it may be being a little more relaxed actually, mm-hmm. because they, you know, you lay out what you can do and, and you're very confident about that. You're bringing the value to them, but also just relaxed about it. I don't necessarily need to have this, but this would be great. It would be great to work with you. Also showing that excitement. So I do think that piece of excitement and working with clients is important. Mm. And so if you can show them that you would be excited to work with them, but you know, I clearly have plenty of other work to do, that kind of thing. Um, certainly is better at selling than, than seeming like you think about it just from even a dating perspective when, you know, when you're dating, you, if somebody really, really wants to date you so badly, sometimes that's a little bit of a turn off because you're like, (laughs) what's wrong with them, right? That they, they're so, so overly into me, like, (laughs) And then it's like, that's a bit creepy, actually, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It becomes creepy. Absolutely. Yes. So one, one of the terms that I've heard for this sort of positioning around sales, which you might have um, not heard of, but I, for, for, for you listening out there, is called the prize frame. So you have to position yourself in your mind and in, in your body language that you are the prize and like uh, Shelley said, they're lucky to be doing business with you in a sense. I think that helps to sort of put it in context, really. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It, um, and that's exactly it. So just bringing and, you know, with anything in terms of body language, you always want to bring kind of your confident game, right? Yeah. Um, but open body language, making sure you're talking with your hands as well, because hands are a trust indicator. And that's the other thing with sales if you're talking to someone and they can't see your hands, that's why sometimes phone is tough for a sales call because it doesn't have as much to it. So a zoom call might be better or actually meeting the person um, in person because then you can use your hands and the hands are trust indicators. They build trust. uh, And it goes back to really when we were cavemen and we'd see somebody walking, we wanted to know that they didn't have a weapon in their hand. And so even though we're not typically looking to see if they have a weapon in their hand, our minds are still looking for that. Like, can I trust this person? Are they Mm. a friend? Are they a foe? So Mm. even with speakers, I tell them, do not put your hands in your pockets when you're talking because it's hard for your audience then to build that trust with you. Yeah. And God knows, yeah, I won't won't go into it, but then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as, a, as a woman watching a man with their hands in the pocket it's not good fellas no, don't, yeah. do it. don't do it <laughs> excellent okay now we might have touched on this but I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into this next thing which was again something I'd not come come across before which was uh non-verbal branding and yeah. I'm assuming you're not talking about logos and business cards here um, no so what is it, Shelley, and why should we care about it as business owners and speakers? 
So if you think about it as a business owner or a speaker, especially as a speaker or even a performer, yeah, there are certain things that that make us a little bit more unique than the next person, right? And so if you can capitalize on what that is from a nonverbal perspective as well. So we we mentioned President Trump and he certainly has this kind of aggressive, assertive, nonverbal brand. So it's the way he stands. It's the way he uses his hands. Um, for the UK, I was thinking about this last night and um, James Corden came to mind uh-huh. to me because I think he has a really unique brand. I mean, I think if he walked into a room the same way Trump did, you would be waiting for the laugh, right? You would be yeah. just him to do something goofy. So it's the way he carries himself. He carries himself in a really unique kind of way, doesn't take himself too seriously. And it runs all throughout everything that he does, whether it was when he was in Gavin and Stacey or whether it's now when he's, you know, hosting his his late night talk show. So we see that that, and sometimes with actors and actresses, they get typecast because of that nonverbal brand and they kind of get stuck. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. But really as a business owner or as a um, entrepreneur or speaker, you want to try to capitalize on that. And it just helps your brand because there's nothing worse than showing up at an event and seeing someone who you thought was one way or another, right? Maybe confident or you thought was really warm or whatever. And they show up at this event and it's not who they are. And there's just this mismatch. So if, if the body language isn't there, to coordinate with all of that, then we have a problem. And so making sure that those things are in place. Um, For some people, even in body language, we talk about ornaments, so glasses, hair, all of those things. So making sure that if you have something that is very unique to you, I know a speaker who, you know, he pushes his hair up and it's kind of wild and that's his thing. And so, you know, if he changes his hair, like that, that's a really big piece of his brand that he would have to get over if he had to change his hair for some reason. But for someone else that may not be part of their brand, right? It may be their glasses or they may not have anything and that's part of it. So just having that consistency as well in how you show up in the world. So I'm pondering on this about myself. I don't know if I have a brand cheeky, maybe, I don't know. Um, But how, how would we find out if, if we weren't super aware of it or how would, is it something that we want to cultivate or get right. opinions and feedback on and then amplify it? How, how could we do find out about this? So a couple of things. So first of all, I think that most people have a firm understanding of kind of who they are at the core and yeah. as speakers or even business owners, we want to bring that out. So you don't want to, and that's why my company is called authentic influence because I can teach, you know, I worked in politics for a number of years. I can teach somebody how to be like a, you know, slimy influencer, but that's not right. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I feel in my heart that it's really important to embrace who you are on the inside and just amplify that. And so if we can really um, amplify that piece of us through what we do and kind of how we show up in the world. And certainly feedback for speakers is really important. I am a firm believer in getting feedback after each event if you can. And so you can weave into your feedback some questions around that nonverbal brand. You know, if you saw me today and you had to pick these five out of these, you know, five options, what I was, you know, was I cheeky? Was I warm? Was I, you know, which of these comes forward first? 
Yeah. And then just making sure that you continue to kind of cultivate that piece of it so that you really bring that out in your um, presentations. Cool. That's really, really cool. Um, what would you say yours is? So I, um, I think at my core, I'm typically told that I'm very warm and trustworthy. And so I'm always trying to promote that because I know at my core that that's kind of who I am. I would agree with that. Oh, good. And trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, that's very accurate, I think. So, yes, you. you can't see Shelley, but I can tell you she looks warm and trustworthy and she sounds warm <laughs> and trustworthy. So, there you go. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> now, we've been talking about politics uh, yes. and people in politics. I have a final question for you here on, on this stuff so, lie uh, detection, lie detection. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by this. I really like that program Lie to Me and stuff and right, yeah. um, really enjoyed that. I mean, it, it may be more, uh, and I wonder these days how important this even is because people don't seem to have much um, care about the truth uh, anyway these days. It doesn't seem to make much of an issue in terms of, in terms of whether we trust someone or not. But how right. can we tell if someone is lying? So first, I just want to tell you that, um, so we are lied to 200 times a day. Oh my goodness. This was from a researcher called Jellison. and he's out of the University of Southern, Cal- Southern California, and he found that 200 times a day, and that's normal. Wow. So these are white lies. They're lies we tell ourselves. They're, you know, lies that I tell other people to flatter them. And then sometimes there's some big lies in there as well. So that's the first thing. And then in terms of finding lies, so there's a whole process behind it. Um, the average person is about 54% accurate. So if you think about that, that's pretty low odds that you're going to know whether someone is lying. But we can teach you to get up to about 90, 90 some percent accuracy. Like I think it's 92% accuracy. Wow. Um, there's a big process behind it. And then a lot of practice that goes on. The bottom line though, is that you would, um, first you want to know the context, right? So a lot of times, even in these hearings that are coming out of Washington, there is, you know, if you look at the pictures of what's actually happening in the room, there's like, you know, 40 cameras pointed at them. There's lights on them. There's like a lot of like stress just in general. So they might give off these weird cues that really have more to do with the fact that, you know, they're in this kind of manufactured environment. So you have to be careful about the context, what the context is. And then you start to baseline them. So you look for, there are certain things that liars do statistically more, but you want to see if that's in their baseline. So you would ask someone questions that are kind of general questions just to see what the, how they respond typically from a body language perspective. And then the questions might get a little trickier you might want to ask them something that makes them a little bit nervous, but that they would still be willing to tell the truth. So one question for that is, what did you have for breakfast? For whatever reason, this makes people nervous. I think because they have to think about what they had for breakfast or like if they had a donut, there may be a little guilt. Yeah. So, so that question is really good to elicit a little bit of like nerves Um, and you can catch up some, you can catch some things that might happen when you ask that question. And then finally you look at, you know, if you'd ask them lying 
questions like what do they typically do and then you'll start to catch so it's really you're really looking for a change in behavior and that's really what lie detection machines even do they look for like a change in behavior and a change in kind of those um those rhythms that happen in the body when somebody's lying because it's actually a lot of work to lie it's a lot of work in front of someone to lie because we have to be thinking do they do they get what i'm saying do they understand it you have to kind of make your face look like you're not lying yeah. and sometimes the micro expressions and things don't match perfectly so i might say that i'm angry about something but that micro expression comes 10 seconds too late so then you're like well is she really upset about that I probably not. So there are all these things that, that get woven in. So unfortunately it's not like a straight answer. And oh, no, you know, there's really lots of articles that say, you know, if you look to the right, you're lying. If you look to the left, you're not like, but that's, it's very specific to the person. Cool. And, and, um, oh gosh, there's so much, uh, interesting <laughs> stuff here. So I, I was just thinking about, so when you, let's say you go to watch a play or something, yeah. an actor is essentially not telling the truth. Right, yeah. Can you pick up on that or do you still kind of get absorbed in it or do you have to turn it off? Yeah, so I pick, so when I do pick, I don't really pick up on it if I was watching a play or something like that. Um, and some actors are really good at being able to kind of fake those things. Um, where I do pick up on it is, when I might be having conversation with someone and I'm not really necessarily looking to see if they are lying, but they say something to me and I'm like, Hmm, that clearly is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they may change when they say it. And then there's like a lot of lying clusters that happen. So we look for clusters. So it's not like one, um, one piece, but they may do a few things like, um, they may touch their nose, which sometimes happens when people lie, sometimes not. Um, and it's because there's a little piece of, um, there's a little piece of like, uh, tissue in your nose that when you lie, it kind of just expands a little bit. And so it makes your nose itch. So you might actually pick your nose up to itch. And then if there's other things that they might do at the same time, then I'm like, Hmm, I think they're lying. Wow. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting. I was talking to a contact recently and he's telling me this story about someone buying a house and then he said to me, yeah, the guy bought the house and he didn't even know that it didn't have air conditioning. And, you know, he had like three lying cues and his behavior totally changed when he told that part of the story. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I guess he's just trying to make the story sound better, right? Oh. So he added in details to make the story more interesting, but it was clearly not true. The guy knew that the house didn't have air conditioning. So that's, that's what they say as well, is when you put too many details in, that's yes. another sign that you're lying, that isn't is it? another sign, absolutely. So it's one thing for me to say, you know, I was late today to meet you because whatever, but it's another thing if I'm like, I was late to meet you today, I had to drop the kids to school, and then I, you know, ran over a pothole, and, you know, when there's too much detail, you know, and the you know, when you say where the pothole was and how big the pothole was and all of these things, then it's like, it begun, it's you trying to cover up the fact that you're lying. But that also, when we were talking about the price thing or even the data thing or the statistic. So when you said, if I say lots of things afterwards, that is almost too much, too much information that, that 
is a similar sort of thing, isn't it? It's undermining because it could be construed as, you know, it, it isn't true. You're not saying that with confidence and... Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Gosh. Yeah. Gosh, okay. <laughs> I must remember those things touching that. I like the licking the lips one. I'm really going to look out for that for that one, for the um, buying sign. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so as a speaker and um, a body language coach and a communications coach, I wanted to ask you, how do you use body language in your talks? You know, I, I guess you do the open stuff. Is there anything else right. that you do when you're preparing for a talk around body yeah, language? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is just getting myself ready. And then I always make sure that I, um, if I can get to an event a week early or something and just take a look at what the room looks like and feel it, feel in the space for a minute. Um, the other thing that I do is read people in the audience. So I will... You know, I will be giving my talk, but I will also be looking at the audience. And if I had a, an event a few years ago where it was a nighttime event. So the event started at like seven o'clock after women had been working a whole day and they're sitting in the event. And, you know, we got about half hour in and I was like, they are really tired. <laughs> and, and I could see it. And I was like, that's it. Like, I'm going to get them up and have them do some kind of activity. So, you know, you start to pick up the cues or if somebody's blocking a lot, um, you might be like, uh, are they really, you know, it, there's something I said that they don't like. Um, so that's the kind of thing, like reading the expressions and saying, okay, they get it. They understand, like I can see them kind of processing it in their minds. Cool. Because one of the things that I talk about as well is um, using mirror neurons. So when you want to influence you know you, you can influence one person but you can also influence a whole audience because of these little things called mirror neurons which make us empathize that's why when we watch films and stuff we can empathize with the hero so even if you've got a big audience if if you talk to if, if you that's why we move uh, on stage is so that we are talking to clusters of people and the people around is is that something that it comes under this banner of body language as well yeah absolutely Absolutely. So um, I teach my students, especially to, you know, to move towards someone to kind of hold a thought with someone in particular and to make that um, eye contact. And that really does two things. So first, it helps that person in the audience to really mm -hmm. understand what you're saying. You're connecting with someone, but it also typically helps you. It helps you to calm down if you're nervous when you're up there speaking. Um, and then you're really connecting with someone one-on-one -on -one, and you're catching their attention as well. And then you can move to the next, to the next person. Um, but I, I do teach my speakers to be a little bit deliberate about their movements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't want to be just pacing back. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you can tie it to a, a particular thing, mm. um, it can be really effective as well. And then just seeing what works with the audience, you know, some, some rooms, don't lend well to moving around. I, no, no. you know, I've spoken in rooms where it's really tight and, you know, and maybe there's a camera on you that's going out to another facility and another part of the company and you, you can't really move. No. So it's like, how do you use the space that you have um, and use your body language and use your movements. And the other piece that I think is really important is that um, there's a lot of visual learners typically in your audience, in any audience. And so, 
even if you don't have slides, how can you give them something visual? And it may be, you know, when you talk about an increase in numbers, like using your hand to signify rise or whatever that is, but just something they can watch, like give them a little bit of a a show or even your face. We talked about that earlier, how important it is if you're talking about a story to kind of um, get into that, into that person. And so if the person is, you know, upset about something then show that kind of sadness on your face yeah no that's really good yeah I've always um, likened it to sort of creating cartoons for people because and caricatures it's it's making it a little bit larger isn't it so that people can can relate to it that's really cool brilliant okay you've done some brilliant stuff thank you for all of the stuff that you've shared now I've got some some questions for you some of them I'm going to have to adapt because you obviously are my first ever returning guest on the podcast. Oh, yay. So, so it's a, yeah, you're that good, Shelley. Yay. <laughs> so, awesome. so now, you, obviously, it's been a while since we talked. I guess it must be yeah. 60 episodes, a lot, quite a few. I guess I'm going to ask you, what's the biggest thing you've learned possibly since the last time we spoke about speaking that's made a difference to your own um, coaching or delivery or whatever. Right. I, you know, Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think the one thing that I have just learned over the the course of the whole, my whole speaking career is just the more you do it, um, you find little things that work Mm. and they may work for a, a few months and then they no longer work right for whatever reason. Um, so it's just to, be open to trying new things and be flexible mm-hmm. and to kind of play it big on the stage, which isn't always easy, but to really just like lean into it and play it big because nobody wants someone just standing on the stage, like cowering, giving a presentation. They want you to be moving. They want you to be connecting with them. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, how's, how, have you had any um, interesting gigs since the last time we spoke? Um, yeah, so I had an interesting, I figured you'd appreciate this. I had an interesting <laughs> gig. Um, it was a pharmaceutical, I was speaking of pharma women, women in pharma. And um, so I was right after the break. And so they had a lunch break and everybody was coming back into the room. And, and as they're coming back into the room, I'm talking to the event organizer and, and, you know, we were just talking kind of last minute stuff. And she looks at the stage and she says, oh, did you just see that? Is the mouse on the stage now? <laughs> she said, is the mouse on the stage now? And I was like, what, what do you mean the mouse? And she's like, oh yeah, there's like a mouse running around in here. And now he's up on the stage. Oh my goodness. About to be like announced and go up on the stage. And I hate mice. <laughs> and so I said to her, I was like, oh no. I said, well, please like, if you see him come out to me, like please yell while I'm on there. Um, and then all of a sudden a few people got out um, in these suits and stuff from the hotel and they're all like with flashlights looking. I don't even think they found him. Oh my so goodness. Like before you go up. <laughs> and what were you speaking about? What was the title of that one? So I was speaking about body language and how to use uh, body language to influence in the workplace. God. So did you, did, did, did the people in the audience know about the mouse? 
They didn't. And so that was the thing. Like, had they known, I might have said something. I was going to gonna say, of, that would have been cool. Yeah. The situation, but they didn't know. And I felt like the event organizers did not want to. <laughs> so I was like, oh. But just if I think that's a brilliant point because if you if they had a known that would have been a brilliant way to I know, get yeah. and get that likable yeah. thing yeah cool yeah. excellent right now since we last met um, what is the book you've read read most recently that has had a big impact on you and why um, oh that's a good question. Um, I think, I don't know what I had said last time, but I always come back to this book called Essentialism, which I may have talked about last you time. You did. Yeah. So beside that one, because I know I beside remember. Beside that yeah. one. Oh boy. Um, so there's a book called Total Leadership and it's um, Stu Friedman is the, the guy's name who wrote it. And he yeah. actually um, taught me years and years ago at Wharton. And it's about looking at your life um, in total. So looking at the work that you're doing and looking at, um, you know, what your home life looks like and what your um, exercise looks like. And if you really take a dedicated look at it and try to grow, grow each piece and make sure the pieces fit together, you can actually grow and get more done. And so that that's kind of the, the really at the heart of the book is how to get more done and kind of have this more like work-life balance. And so yeah. I, um, I come back, that's another book that I come back to often because it just helps me to kind of organize my life, my speaking career, my, you know, my teaching, my, my family, everything. Cause you, we talked you've got three besides, I do. besides being a lecturer at Wharton, having your own company and everything. You've got three boys who I are do. 11 and below, which is, yes, yes. <laughs> they're busy <laughs> yeah and you're looking remarkably composed at nine o'clock in the morning your time <laughs> well and kids are great for body language because they they really don't cover it up um, so like you know they can you know they can totally lie to you and they will block like over their face when they're when they're gonna lie like they will so they give away so much it's um it, body language is really good for parents to learn as well have you told them? Have you used this? I bet it's like a brilliant Jedi mind trick on your kids. Like, he's no point. I'm an expert. Is he? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But they just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet there's loads of parents lying about Santa and elves at the moment, uh, unless there yeah. are any children listening, in which case it's all real. Um, but there we go. Good. Um, have you had a recently a great bit of business advice? And why was it so? Um, yeah, so I think one of the pieces of business advice that I've gotten recently is just to stick to stick with one thing and to kind of finish it out. So it's so easy to have your hand as a business owner in so many different pieces of work and feel like everything has to be done like yesterday. And if you can just put some consistency into things and stick with them, then you can kind of see them through. Otherwise, you're too too chaotic yeah that's brilliant I I um I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast it's something I talk to my clients and I also try and do myself um which is some I heard uh, something someone said once is about you've got six your your goal is to kick a football as far down the pitch as you can 
and you get onto the pitch, the football pitch or field or whatever you might call it, a field, and there's six footballs there. Now, you can either kick each football once or one football six times. And I, th- I, I think that helps me. I don't know. That, uh, that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it, I guess? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Because it's really easy to get distracted by shiny pennies, uh, as I said from experience. <laughs> yeah, cool. Very easy, yes. Now, I can't remember what mentor you chose last time. And we might have, I might have even asked you for three before. But is there someone who is a new mentor or someone, again, it might be the same one, I don't mind, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, that you would love to talk to and why? Yeah, I would love to talk. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, so I think in terms of a mentor, um, boy, this is tough. Um, <laughs> I, so I actually have someone, I'm kind of blessed to have someone in my life right now who's a mentor, who's a business owner, who I talk to very frequently, a woman called Dale Power, who has a um, business called The Encouragement Project. And oh, nice. um, so I'm really lucky to have her because she has grown businesses before. And so she's the person that is kind of my go-to all the time. Brilliant. The Encouragement Project. That sounds really cool. It is. It is. It's really fantastic. Excellent. Oh, I shall look that up. I'll look her up and have a look. Brilliant, Shelley. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show again and for um, sharing all of your wisdom and your expertise. I I learned loads again and I really, really appreciate it. All right, great. Thank and you. So before we do say goodbye, you're on Twitter, aren't you? On LinkedIn. Yes. People can find you there. Yes. And then authenticinfluencegroup.com. Right. Okay. Website as well. Brilliant. And what's your what's your Twitter handle? So it's Shelly O'Donovan. Smashing. Nice and easy. Well, thanks so much, Shelly. Have a have a great rest of your day and thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, great. Thank you, Sarah. It was fun. What a star. I love this stuff. Unfortunately, you can't see my body language right now, but I hope you can hear the smile and the excitement coming through your earphones because I got loads of stuff from that. And I hope that you did too. And you're going to put some of this into practice so that you can increase the power of your talks and pitches and negotiations. Go for it. And make sure you go out and check uh, Shelley's website, authenticinfluencegroup.com and her book Success is Yours and I'm going to link to those in the show notes along with the episode that she was on before episode 39 that was not episode 37 I made a mistake there it's episode 39 and the link is in the show notes and I'm sure that Shelley would love to hear from you if you enjoyed it and got something from it so connect with her on Twitter or LinkedIn and come say hi to me too I'm at Sarah Archer 15 on Twitter and you can find me by uh, looking up Sarah Archer on LinkedIn well that's it from me have a wonderful week and don't forget as ever to go and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking bye bye hey if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. 
And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.